text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 131. A song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you at peace with God? In all the uncertainty that we face in our lives, is your soul at rest? Or are you afflicted with fear? anxiety, worry, and frustration. If you look around in our society, COVID-19 has hit people precisely where they are vulnerable. It's a virus which can be deadly, and so many people feel like their health is under attack. The disruption caused by COVID-19 has had a profound effect on our economy, and so many are afraid and worried about their finances. Fear levels are running high in our society. It's expressed in different ways. A recent survey showed that more than half of Canadians experienced anxiety in going out in public. Some people are pretty fanatical about social distancing rules. If you happen to cough or sneeze in public, you get dirty looks. Citizens are tattletailing on one another, calling up the authorities if they feel that their neighbor is not adequately following the new distancing rules. Gradually, the internet and social media are filling with an abundance of conspiracy theories about the origins of COVID-19 and how this is being used as some kind of master ploy by governments to control their people. Do you know what stands behind all these things? Our society's struggle is that people feel like they're not in control. They've grown up believing in their own self-confidence. Many have believed the humanistic philosophy, you can do it. Take charge of your own life. You're in control of your own destiny. But now... People around us are dying from a mysterious illness. Millions of people are unemployed or are working drastically reduced hours due to the closing of our economy. People are starting to realize they're not in control. That scares them badly. The response of many is that they want the government to take control. They want someone in charge, someone to restore order to their lives. They think that if we follow all the rules, COVID-19 will not get them. 
Yet in the meantime, it's having a profound effect on all our lives. It's made many prisoners in their own homes. It's having an effect on the mental health and emotional well-being of many. Economists are deeply concerned about whether our economy will recover and how that can happen. Our circumstances leave many people feeling restless and unsettled. Not just people in society around us, but also us as Christians. As Christians, we're human beings. We're affected by all the same emotions and fears that are out there in society around us. The question is, does being in a relationship with God help you cope with your fears, your anxiety, your worry, your frustration? In the midst of the trials and struggles you're facing in your life, are you at peace with God? Do you find rest for your soul in Him? I preach to you the Word of God under the following theme. David teaches us about how he found rest for his soul. David learned humility. He experienced rest. And he expresses hope. Psalm 131 is a song of ascents. It's a pilgrim song. It was a song that God's people sang as they journeyed from their homes to Jerusalem, where God dwelt in his holy sanctuary. Every Israelite was commanded to appear before God at least three times each year for the special feast days. It was a big deal to meet with God in his holy temple, to come into the presence of Almighty God, the Holy One of Israel. To do that as sinful people. David reflects on that in Psalm 24. He asks, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He answers, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. But who, beloved, can come before God with clean hands and a pure heart? While David was a man after God's own heart, he still had a sinful heart. There were times in his life when David fell into grievous sins. And thus, when the Israelites went up to Jerusalem for their pilgrim feasts, they did not go with empty hands. They went with sacrifices and offerings, or with money to purchase animals to sacrifice before God. They would offer their sin and their guilt offerings, seeking forgiveness for their sins. They would also offer their fellowship offerings, rejoicing and being able to share communion with God and his people. The songs of ascent were songs that prepared God's people to meet with him. Many of them are joyful songs, for God's people experience great joy in traveling to Jerusalem to enjoy fellowship with God. Yet many of these psalms also include prayers for mercy and deliverance from sins and from enemies. Many include an element of waiting for the Lord and hoping in his steadfast love. These psalms often express a deep reverence for the Lord and trust in him 
and his unfailing love. We don't know the particular circumstances that caused David to write Psalm 131. It is a simple but deeply personal psalm. And it we see David working through difficult struggles in life and yet finding rest for his soul in God alone. Perhaps David wrote it later in life after reflecting on how God had been near to him through many trying experiences. Perhaps he wrote this psalm in the midst of one of those trials. We know that David faced many difficult struggles in his life. After being anointed king, Saul chased him back and forth throughout the land, trying to kill him because he was jealous of him. One time when he was desperate to escape from Saul, David fled to the Philistines. He had to pretend to be crazy to escape from King Abimelech of Gath. David was a man of war. On countless occasions, he put his life at risk, leading his men into battle against Israel's enemies. David was guilty of some very serious sins in his life. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah to try cover up his sin. The Lord took home the child born to Bathsheba as punishment for David's sin. He also put a curse on David, saying that he would raise up evil against David from within his own house. David struggled seeing Ammon rape his sister Tamar and Absalom kill him. He suffered greatly in Absalom's rebellion against him and in losing his son. David sinned in numbering the fighting men of Israel. He suffered deeply seeing the plague God brought on Israel as a result. He suffered much in his life. And so he could speak from experience about how he learned to cope with the struggles and the loss he endured. Psalm 131 begins with David humbling himself before the Lord his God. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. What David is saying is that his heart is not proud. His eyes are not haughty. Pride always involves overvaluating, overvaluing and overestimating yourself, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. We do that when we compare ourselves with others and then look down on them. We do that whenever we disregard God, thinking we're in control of our own lives. David had many reasons to think highly of himself. There would have been a temptation for David to adopt an arrogant attitude. He was the Lord's anointed one, destined to be king over Israel. He was the man who defeated the giant Goliath when all Israel's men cowered in fear before him. David was the leader of a group of 30 mighty men whose exploits in battle were legendary in Israel. As commander of Israel's armies, David had subdued many of Israel's enemies. Yet David knows it's not because he was so smart or strong that he was victorious. He recognized the Lord was near 
It was only in the Lord's strength that he accomplished anything. Already during the years when he cared for his father's sheep, David had learned that he was one of God's sheep, that the Lord was his shepherd who loved him and cared for him. It was David's trust and dependence on God that helped him remain humble, even when he became king. David's humility extends to the whole of his life. David went through some very trying times in his life. There were times when it would have been really difficult for David to discern God's plan for his life. It would have been hard for him to reconcile being the Lord's anointed one, and yet fleeing from Saul year after year. David grieved deeply over the prophet Nathan's judgment that the son born to him by Bathsheba would die. This child had done nothing wrong. Similarly, when David numbered Israel's fighting men, it nearly broke his heart to see 70,000 men die because of his sin. Through the struggles of his life, David learned to entrust himself to the Lord's care and keeping. And so in Psalm 131, David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David is not saying he never struggled with the manner in which the Lord directed his life. But through the difficult struggles he faced in life, he's learned an important lesson. He's learned not to try solve the mystery of God's providence. God's providence is his almighty power by which he rules over this world and over all, all our lives. The Bible makes it plain that God has a plan for each of our lives. God is the one who leads and directs the various things that happen in our lives. He's ultimately in control. At times that's difficult for us to understand or to accept, especially when we go through hard times. In the midst of the trials and struggles of life, we often have questions why do I have to suffer sickness? Why has my loved one been diagnosed with a serious illness? Why did God allow me to get bullied at school? Why did he allow me to suffer abuse or trauma in my life? Why do we face struggles in our marriage? Why do we have to face ongoing financial struggles when many around us are doing well? Why has God taken one of my loved ones from me in what we consider to be an untimely death? Why has my son, my daughter, strayed from the ways of the Lord? Our struggles are often compounded by the feeling that God isn't helping us. I've prayed for God to deliver me, to get me out of the pit, to help me move forward in my life. And yet my experience is God doesn't help. He doesn't hear my prayers. My trouble never ends. In our struggles, we want to call God to account because we don't like what he's doing in our lives. 
Think of Asaph in Psalm 73, who struggled with the prosperity of the wicked while his life was in turmoil. He said he tried to understand, but it was oppressive to him. David has moved beyond all that. He stopped striving for power and influence. He recognizes that in certain areas of life, he's not in control. He's not going to be able to find all the answers. He'll not be able to fix all the problems. He stops trying to control the things that are beyond his power. David takes on true humility. He accepts that there are things in his life that are too great, too marvelous for him. David teaches us to take on this same attitude. We need to recognize that we're not in control of our lives. God is. We need to learn to accept that God has a plan for our lives and that his plan is good. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not denying the fact that God often leads us through trials and through sorrows. But God has a reason for that. He's at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us, molding and shaping us. God wants us to grow in our faith and trust in him. He uses struggles and trials to help us grow in maturity because God wants us to bear fruit to his glory. He wants to be able to use us as instruments to further his kingdom work on this earth. One of the basic things every Christian needs to learn is humility. Think of what Paul wrote in Philippians 2. He calls us to be of the same mind, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. How do we achieve that? Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility Consider others better than yourselves. The point that Paul is making, beloved, is that life is not just about you. Life's not centered on you. Life's not about you getting what you want. You are part of a community. You're called to love and support those around you. As Paul writes... Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then Paul gives us the glorious example of our Lord Jesus Christ, about how Jesus humbled himself greatly for our sake. Though he was with God in glory and blessed with honor and power in heaven, Jesus left behind his divine privileges and came down into this world as a human being. Though he was king over all, there was no room for Jesus in the inn when he was born. His mother laid him in a manger to sleep. Jesus was willing to become a servant for us. He suffered immensely during his time on earth. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Just as Jesus is willing to accept God's plan for his life, so we too need to learn to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Brings us to our second point, and it will see how David experienced rest. Please understand, beloved, that David did not passively resign himself to the sorrows and struggles God allowed in his life. His attitude was not one where he thought, I can't do anything about it, so I guess I'll just have to learn to suffer through the hardships I'm facing. David had a different attitude about God. He didn't see God as a capricious ruler, as one who indiscriminately doled out evil. David saw the Lord as his loving shepherd. And so David was willing to entrust his life to God's care and keeping. We see David expresses this, we see David express this in a beautiful manner in verse 2 of our text. He writes, But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. There's two main reasons why little children like to come to their moms and sit with them. One is when a child is hungry and needs to feed. Usually a child will signal their need with a cry. And if not tended to quietly enough, he or she will scream for attention. Such a child is discontent, is hungry, is needy. That's not what David's talking about in our text. He's describing how a child who has been weaned still likes to come and cuddle with mom. Not because he needs to feed, but because he loves the safety and the security of being close to her. A child's mom is the one who brought him into this world. Moms are known to be fiercely protective about their kids. They love them deeply. They'll do anything in their power to shield and protect them from harm. The young child knows that. And so he or she comes to mom to find rest and peace with her. Children love to cuddle with mom, to fall asleep in her arms. David uses that example to show how we can find rest for our souls with the Lord our God. There are times in our life when we are needy, when we go to God with these needs, laying them before his throne of grace. God loves to hear from us in times when we're struggling. He delights in giving good gifts to his children. But God also wants us to come to him to find safety, security, rest, and peace. He wants us to entrust our lives to his care and keeping. We can find rest for our souls with him because he loves us with an even deeper love than a mom has for a little son or daughter. How do we know that? Because God has revealed the depth of his love for us. As a father, he sent his only begotten son into the world to suffer and die for us. 
Our Heavenly Father poured out his wrath against our sins on his dearly loved Son to redeem us, to restore us to righteousness and life. In Christ, God has adopted us as his sons and daughters. As our Father, he loves us with the same fierce and protective love a mom has for a little child. God has promised to care for us through all the trials and sorrows of this life. He's able to do that as Almighty God. He's willing to do so as our faithful Father. In history, different Christians have learned to find rest for their souls in the midst of difficult trials and sorrows. This morning, I want to share with you the story of Horatio Spafford. He was an attorney living in Chicago. Being a successful lawyer, he invested most of his riches in, pro- in property in the Chicago area. The great Chicago fire of 1871 claimed the life of his four-year-old son and ruined him financially. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn in 1873. In that year, he planned to travel with his family to Europe. When he got held up by business, he sent his family ahead of him by ship. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship they were traveling on was struck by another vessel. It sank in less than 30 minutes, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived. She sent him a now famous telegram. It read, Saved Alone. What was Spafford's response to these bitter circumstances in his life? We get a glimpse into his thinking from the hymn that he wrote. It has as title, It is Well with My Soul. Spafford wrote this hymn as he crossed the ocean in another ship to meet his grieving wife. I'd like to share the first stanza with you. He wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That, beloved, is a remarkable response to desperately trying circumstances in this man's life. But it teaches us the same lesson that David wants to teach in Psalm 131. COVID-19 has created much anxiety and stress in many of our lives. Some among us are struggling with other trials and sorrows. And at times the load we bear can be very heavy. And so I want to encourage you. Find rest for your souls in God alone. You're not walking through your life on your own. And trust your life to God's care and keeping. Rely on his grace and spirit to uphold and strengthen you today and tomorrow and in the coming weeks and months. God is good. Abounding in steadfast love and mercy. We can put our hope in him. We'll deal with this in our final point. 
And we'll see how David expresses hope. David concludes Psalm 131 by saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. In English, the word hope can be used in different ways. Sometimes hope is little more than wishful thinking. You might say, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. But if a low pressure has settled in and the forecast is for three days of rain, your hope for sunny weather is little more than a pipe dream. In the Bible, the word hope is used in a different way. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that God will be faithful to his promises. When David says, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, he's urging God's people to trust in the faithfulness of God. David is urging us to hold fast God's rich promises with a confident expectation they will be fulfilled. And we know, beloved, that God has not promised us an easy passage through this life. We live in a sin-stained world, in a world that's under God's curse because of our sin. Because of sin, we may expect to experience many difficulties and afflictions in this life. And yet, beloved, we don't walk through life on our own. God is always with us. He has not left us orphans. Jesus sent the Spirit to live in our hearts. He is there leading our lives, directing us to the grace we have in Jesus Christ, comforting and assuring us. God has made glorious promises to us. When Paul was afflicted with his thorn in the flesh, the Lord told him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul could confess, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What really gives us hope is God's promises about the future. Before he went up into heaven, Jesus told his disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, beloved, I want to remind you that there's more to life than what we see with our physical eyes. God has a glorious inheritance in store for us. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord may be sure that they will live with Him, not just in this life, but forevermore on new heavens and a new earth. And so, beloved, I want to ask you again, are you at peace with God? Or are you afflicted with worry, anxiety, Fear and frustration. In all the uncertainty that we face in our lives, in the trials and the struggles facing you, is your soul at rest? As weak and sinful human beings, we have to admit, 
We're not always at peace. We don't always find our souls at rest. There's only one way to get there. It's by recognizing that you're not in control of your life. By humbly handing over your life to God for his care and keeping. It's by putting your hope in the Lord. If you do that, you too will be able to sing. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Amen.